Amazing grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. They say a picture paints a thousand words. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus paints three pictures for us with his words. So if you like a sermon with a lot of stories, you might like this one. To understand the pictures Jesus paints in his parables, it helps to see them in their original setting. It's like viewing a picture in a proper frame. So our gospel lesson began by giving us the setting. The tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. Kind of like you guys here this morning to hear Jesus' words. But not everybody's here, right? Or in church somewhere else today. And not everyone was in there listening to Jesus that day. Outside, the Pharisees and the scribes won't come in. Worse, according to verse 2, they're grumbling. This man receives sinners and eats with them. That's what leads into the parables as Jesus paints three pictures with his words. In the first, the main character is a shepherd for whom 99 out of 100 just isn't enough. Ah, for more students like that. Now, any shepherd with 100 sheep would have a number of hired hands to assist him. The point is that the shepherd cares for each one, even one out of 100. So he leaves the 99 in the care of others, and he himself goes to find the lost one. When he does, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing, and when he comes home, he calls together friends and neighbors to celebrate. Rejoice, the lost sheep is found. The second picture is of a woman for whom nine out of ten of her coins simply are not enough. She values them all, and so she cleans and cleans until she finds the lost one. Then she too calls together friends and neighbors, rejoice with me, I have found the coin that I had lost. She's so happy, she probably spends some of the value of those ten coins to celebrate. Then right after our gospel lesson, a third story. A father with two lost sons. The younger son wishes his dad were dead so he could have the inheritance now. And he tells his dad as much. So his father gives him his share. The son turns his back on home and family, squanders all the money on wild living, prostitutes, and partying. He spends prodigiously Therefore, he's often called the prodigal son. When all the money and his fake friends are gone, he's pictured feeding pigs. He finally figures his father's slaves fare far better, so he prepares a speech asking to be a slave and returns home. But the picture Jesus is painting in this third story is not really about the son. Instead, we're to focus on the father. Not a bad emphasis on Father's Day. The father runs out to his son, cuts him off in the middle of his speech, throws his arms around him, puts a royal robe on him, a ring on his finger, and then, like the shepherd and the woman, it's time to celebrate. The fatted calf is killed, and the party begins. You see, this parable is really about a prodigal father. The term prodigal means to spend money or resources freely and extravagantly. 
Yeah, sometimes wastefully like the younger son did, but the father really fits the basic definition of prodigal better. He spent prodigiously on the younger son by giving him all his inheritance before his time. After that son squandered it all, the father spent prodigiously again on a robe, a ring, and a feast. But just as in the frame of the parable, not everyone comes. Outside is the older brother pouting. As the father ran out to welcome the younger son, so the father goes out to the older brother. That older son complains that he's been treated like a slave and never got a goat. But the prodigal father tells the older brother this. Everything I have is yours. Everything. And then the story ends. Will the older brother come in and join us, or will he stay outside? But in any case, what a prodigal father who gives so lavishly to his children. So where are you in the parable pictures? The main character in these three pictures are the searching shepherd, who is like the rejoicing woman, who is like the prodigal father. And we might want to imitate each of them to be a perfectionist, 100% all right, like the shepherd. Perhaps, like the woman, we could all clean the house a little bit more. And we could all strive to be like that father in our relationships with others. But the father in the story, like our heavenly father, is a tough example for our earthly fathers to live up to. So fortunately, Jesus is not painting you as those characters. The main point in all of the stories is Jesus revealing what God is like. And we see God most clearly in Jesus, the son whom he gave, who died and rose for us. In the setting of these parables, Jesus is there, the Son of God rejoicing with sinners who have been found. After all, he came to seek and to save what was lost. He's the good shepherd who tells us our heavenly Father is always waiting to welcome us. Uh, this is a challenge when I get to teach Old Testament class. Despite what many people think, this is exactly the same as God is in the Old Testament. Look at the Old Testament reading from Micah. Who is a God like you, this Old Testament prophet says, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of your inheritance? God does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. What a heavenly father. So if not the main characters, where are you in these parable pictures? Maybe one of the minor characters? For example, are you willing to admit to being like the tax collectors and sinners in verse 1? If so, great. 
Jesus says he did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And that's what we admitted at the beginning of our service. But then we heard gracious words of forgiveness. Jesus, sinners, doth receive. Maybe you're kind of like the lost sheep who just sort of slowly drifted away from God sometime in life. Then after wandering on your own for a while, you realized how spiritually lost and in the fog of this world you were. This might seem insignificant to many people, but the word lost here does not really mean to just be wandering aimlessly like me on the LA freeways. It means perishing, being destroyed, like a ship sank and all the people were lost, like a little lamb wandering by itself in the wilderness. At other times, maybe you felt like the lost coin, displaced, neglected, overlooked, even ignored. Or at times, have you been like a fourth option, the grumbling, self-righteous Pharisees and scribes standing outside. Jesus portrays them as those who wrongly think they do not need to repent. And in the painting of the parable, that's the older brother, looking down on others, judgmentally refusing to join the celebration. That's a lot of our culture today. There's a famous book titled, I'm okay, you're okay. Most people tend to think people are generally good, or at least good enough for God. Or at least I arrogantly think, I'm okay, but maybe you're not. Jesus says, apart from him, all people are lost, perishing, and being destroyed. Just two chapters earlier, Luke chapter 13, Jesus says it twice for emphasis. Unless you repent, you too will all perish. So by all means, don't stay outside the family of God. Join us and then pray for those who refuse to come in and invite them as well. Well, thank goodness there's a final option those who are returned or turned to Jesus in repentance. And whenever that happens, the stories tell us the sheep is welcomed back by the shepherd into the flock. The coin is gathered by the woman back into her purse. The younger son is embraced by the father and brought into the family with feasting and celebration. That's what God is like. In all these cases, the lost is also back in a community. There's a celebration with others. The shepherd comes home, gathers his friends and neighbors. The woman does the same. And when the younger son returns, the father has a barbecue for everyone. So if you've been found like the lost sheep or returned to Jesus like the younger son, you've been gathered, gathered here into God's family. He places you into community, into a group, into a congregation, and that's why you gather here. We're simply responding to Jesus' invitation. Rejoice with me whenever the lost are found. And we, too, get a meal. Our good shepherd prepares a table before us, and we respond to his invitation to celebrate the Lord's Supper. 
as Jesus says twice here, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. In conclusion, instead of a picture, you could watch a movie titled Paul, the Apostle of Christ. Or you could read about the life of St. Paul in the book of Acts. Or, for a quicker summary, Paul reflects on his own life in our epistle from 1 Timothy chapter 1. He illustrates pretty well all the options we've been talking about. He was once the self-righteous Pharisee, refusing to enter the Christian community. But Jesus reached out and found him on the road to Damascus. Then Paul realized how lost he really had been. Then, having been so graciously brought back into the family of God, he accepted and dedicated his life to reaching out to the others who are lost. Check out that epistle reading. Paul spells this out. Once I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent of Jesus. Then he realized he was really lost, acting ignorantly and in self-righteous unbelief. But wow! Then did he become one who could sing amazing grace together with us. Paul says it this way. The grace of our Lord Jesus overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Jesus. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience, here you are, as an example to those who believe in him. That's us. How appropriate, then, that Paul ends our epistle lesson and I end this sermon with these words. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.